Enabling Democracy Through an App. Hello and welcome to AstroTalk UK. ATUK is a not-for-profit podcast produced by me, Gurbir Singh, amateur astronomer and writer based in the UK. I produce this podcast for my own education and share it as a free educational resource with anyone who has an interest. ATUK has no subscribers, ads, and you do not need to log in. For more information, please see the About page at www.astrotalkuk.org. I came across an interesting app on my Twitter feed a few weeks ago. A new startup in India has developed an app accessible only via cell phone on both the iPhone and Android platforms. It's called GovernEye, and it's designed to facilitate democratic engagement by allowing voters, elected politicians and all stakeholders to communicate in multiple languages across India. All user posts are moderated, filtered for foul language and checked against authoritative fact-checking services. Here's a unique thing. Unlike Twitter or Facebook, GovernEye does not ask for personal identifiable information like an email address or a cell phone number. Its eventual funding model relies on targeted ads. So, if no personal information is collected, how are those ads targeted? Whilst data collected during registration does not uniquely identify individuals, data such as date of birth, level of education and languages spoken is collected. This information is used to identify broad categories of users and it's these categories that are targeted by paid adverts. GovernEye is free for any users in or outside India and currently in a pre-release phase. It's expected to launch in May or June 2019. In this interview with GovernEye founder Anand Ahuja, I started off by asking him what was the problem that GovernEye was set out to solve. I think if we just take a step back and try to look at democracy, um, we feel that you know there's there's something missing. At some level, there are two kinds of democracy. Uh, there's a direct uh, democracy, um, or what's called participative democracy, where a lot of uh, people actually get together and participate in referendums. Um, the government kind of wants to know what the people think, and they let the government know that this is what we think on these questions. And then there are in, or sorry, um, representative democracies, mm-hmm. where you kind of pick a representative for yourself and then that person would go on to make decisions on your behalf without maybe checking with you or without you know letting you know that this is why i'm going to be making these decisions and uh it's in the best interest of our constituency or it's in the best interest uh of our country um so that that dialogue was missing uh you know between politicians or representatives and the constituencies. Obviously, it would have been ideal if we had more of a a direct democracy, but India is a large country, and just the very fact that 
having elections uh, periodically costs a lot of money. It, it would just be impossible to actually set out every few weekends and ask people, what should we do on this question and what we should do on that question? So it seemed like we needed a platform where um, politicians and representatives, especially representatives, uh, were more in touch with people. So that's how that's how we identified uh, the problem statement. Uh, we stepped back and we tried to figure out, well, wait a minute, we already have Twitter, we have Facebook. So why is this not happening? And then we realized that Facebook and Twitter have a bunch of other problems because of which um, individuals and their representatives cannot connect that easily or that seamlessly. Uh, one of the problems was that, you know, a Facebook requires you to give way too much information about yourself. So if you were to ask questions, you might be scared that someone's going to be knocking on your door. Uh, because you share information like where you work, where you studied, uh, what you had for breakfast yesterday, what were you wearing yesterday. Um, so it's very easy to triangulate who you are and where you live. So if you want to ask a bunch of difficult questions, if you want to speak uh, truth to power, you you're always going to be you're you're always going to be having this fear that someone could knock on my door. So the intention is uh, to push the democracy more towards a participative democracy as opposed right. to representative democracy. And the key difference then uh, between what Governi, it's, it's an app, I should say, that's available on the Android and the iPhone platforms, what would you say is the distinction in the way that uh, it is more secure than Twitter and Facebook and the other existing social media apps? The first thing is that we don't collect information that we don't need. We don't collect information that's personally identifiable. So if you were to register on the app, we don't need to know that you're Gurbir. We don't need to know what your email address is. We don't need to know uh, what your phone number is. Uh, so we don't collect that information. So that's the first step in terms of making it secure is that we don't we don't put any anything valuable in there, anything that you might not want to give away or you might not want uh, unauthorized sources to be looking at. Okay. Uh, second thing is that we've made we've used a lot of common sense uh, software engineering principles to make sure that the communication between the servers are secure, uh -huh. uh, the servers itself are secure. So. So if someone were to actually attack uh, our servers, they're still not going to be able to get personal information because we simply don't have them. Okay, but if you are allowing people to create accounts on your platform without that uh, unique identity, how do you know people aren't misusing that option and uh, duplicating accounts 10, 15, 100 times as many, and then maybe generating posts to mm -hmm. push a particular political agenda? Uh, good question. So the first thing is that we haven't opened up, we haven't opened up any APIs. Uh, so it's not going to be possible for anyone to piggyback on public APIs and create some app uh, like Facebook and Twitter allow mm -hmm. uh, to be able to automate a lot of their tasks. Um, so someone would have to manually get into our app 
uh-huh. and actually try to create a new user and then log in using that user and uh-huh. then post something. Um, and if they can go through all that trouble to create 10s or 20s or 30s, uh, well, first of all, hats off to them for going through all that trouble. Um, secondly, we have fraud detection mechanisms in the back end where based on certain parameters. Uh, I wouldn't want to disclose them because the first rule of security is don't collect information that you don't want to get stolen. And the second rule of security is don't give away the information or uh, the uh, security uh, mechanisms that you have in place. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want to discuss, I wouldn't want to uh, give out those details, but there are some mechanisms through which we understand uh, user patterns. Uh, when when they log in, when they register again. So if we see those same kind of patterns based on IP address or device IDs, uh-huh. uh, then we kind of know that, okay, there's something interesting happening here. Now, we could have gone for fraud prevention, which basically means that it would just take the second step of detection and would just say, let's just ban all of these uh, user IDs. But we wanted to go step by step. So what we have in place right now is a fraud detection system. Uh-huh. And what that does is that it flags those IDs that might seem questionable. And then it is for us to look into them and make sure that they are actually uh, questionable. And if they are, then we actually deactivate those accounts and we remove the data that they have uh, or they would have placed uh, onto the app. The reason why we have to do that manually is because the app was specifically designed for India. Mm -hmm. And one of the use cases in India is that sometimes there are multiple people within a locality, not just a family, not just a household, mm-hmm. but within a locality that are using one phone to get online. Ah, I see. So there are villages, and we, we realize this we realize this much later mm-hmm. um, in, in the game, that there are villages where the village head actually has a phone, mm-hmm. has a very weak internet connection on his phone. Mm-hmm. It could be 3G um, and he uses his phone as a public phone where other people can then use the same, uh, they can use the same phone and the same connection to kind of get onto their uh, apps. Uh-huh. So we we found about eight or nine such user IDs that came from one device, uh-huh. one IP address, kind of follow the same pattern. And we were like, why would someone just make eight or nine and stop? You know, if you, if, if you, if you intend on, jeopardizing the platform, you would probably go all out and create thousands, uh-huh. right? Then we just try to figure out what this IP address is and then realize that it was a village. And then we tried to communicate with someone who was nearby and we found out that, yes, it was actually a genuine use of uh, of multiple user IDs. So That's we a- had to that. Can you just summarize some of the features within the apps? So if somebody has this app on a, let's say, a smartphone, what kind of things can uh, they do see? How do they interact and who with? Perhaps the easiest way to uh, to describe uh, the app, just as you have a platform where you can post your thoughts, your questions, your observations, you can actually use Governai to do that. And at a very high level, it's a citizen networking app where you get to do all of those things that you would do in a social networking app, assuming that it's actually centered around citizens. 
the the other thing to keep in mind is that we've actually managed to get or this was one of the mandates that we gave ourselves that this was not just going to be citizens talking to each other we needed to have lawmakers also be a part of this mm-hmm. because otherwise it's just you know having discussions in the ether and uh, all of those discussions being unactionable or just not going anywhere by so lawmakers you're referring to politicians politicians who've been elected into office mm-hmm. okay so you could be politicians you you could be a spokesperson for a political party uh, and a lot of those um, individuals have an account with us mm-hmm. um, you could actually be a political party and uh, a lot of political parties have their accounts with us you could be a uh, a member of the legislative assembly which is the state level um uh, uh the state level law making body and then you could be a member of the parliament which is the national level law making body mm-hmm. uh, you could be a journalist although we haven't focused on getting journalists to come on board as yet it was more important for us to go in a very uh structured approach and make sure that we first get the essential pieces in place and get customer vets uh, uh Uh, sorry market validation mm-hmm. that yes these things work these things make sense it's a platform where you can have you you can have all of those communication channels that you would if you have um citizens and politicians talking to each other so one could be citizens talking to each other uh, themselves that's the public discussion um mm-hmm. that's the public discussion element um of the app uh you have lawmakers that give updates mm-hmm. uh so that's the lawmaker update element um of the app where they post what they've been doing all day or uh what bills or laws they're working on what feedback they're looking for uh so they actually post uh, those things over there mm-hmm. um we also have a section on fake news alerts so we've we've uh signed up with um uh, a bunch of uh fact checkers that are globally certified and uh they they announce their fact checking uh posts on our app as well just like they would on facebook or twitter um except it's a bit more potent on this app because um you you're not really you you don't really have to follow anyone on this app to get updates mm-hmm. um you post something you're posting it with a certain language in mind uh and with a certain region in mind and anyone that subscribed to that language and that region is going to get that post so no information bubbles no echo chambers and in all of that there's a tendency for people to feel that you know um i can actually get to see or i can get i can actually get to hear the other point of view as well and a lot of people have actually appreciated that how many different languages does this app cater for 23 23 and regions the regions of India all the states all the states and union territories of india right there's 29 states and seven Correct. territories yeah. anybody can post anything to the public area and any of those languages in um there so somebody who's posting a message would they be able to post a message in any area or would it be localized to the location where they happen to reside Physically. they can post in any area that they want to mm-hmm. the reason why well the first our first our basic instinct actually said that you know if your if your gps location says delhi you should be able to post in delhi only but there were two problems in that one we do not collect gps location mm-hmm. two you might actually be a voter 
in some other state, but working in Delhi. Mm-hmm. And you might have interest in what's going on in that other state as well. So we make people choose their regions manually. Wow. And that removes the the burden of trying to figure out their IP, their, uh, their, their GPS coordinates and map them to cities and figure out what constituencies fall into that. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit old school in that sense, but it's privacy uh, ready. Uh, yeah, and then they can pick as uh, many different locations as uh, regions as they like. Yeah. Yes, because okay. there are use cases where where you might have somebody who's actually uh, who actually belongs. Uh, to some other state, mm-hmm. he's a voter in that state, but he studied in a different state and he's working in a different state and he might have concerns for all three states and he might want to be able to contribute uh, to the conversation for all three states. So no reason to leave him out of uh, all three of them. It's the fact-checking aspect. That's really quite interesting. So if I was to put a story out the time that we're speaking, we just heard the announcement that the Chief Minister of Goa, um, Manaha Parika, passed away sadly. Um, now let me just make up a story. And let's say Manaha Parika was, prior to his death, considering switching parties and joining the Congress party. He passed away before he could announce that. Now that statement, I could publish that. How would that be fact-checked, how would people who are reading that know if it's true or not? I, I almost feel like maybe I should have uh, spent a bit more time giving you uh, a high-level structure of what the app mm-hmm. looks like. Please um, do. So, so I, I won't answer that question, but just give me a moment before I get to that. Okay. Um, wh- what happens on the app is that people can post anything that they want to within the state and the language um, that the app supports. We support all 23 languages that the constitution supports. One of the problems that we realized was that Twitter and Facebook are a very um, text-oriented platform for communication. Uh Sure, you can have video attachments, you can have an audio attachment, but primarily as a form of communication, it relies on text. Right. And in a country like India, most of those texts are going to be either English or recently we've seen a lot of uh, Hindi also. Uh, the other regional languages have a very small presence on Facebook and Twitter. So people who are not comfortable communicating in Hindi or English, people who are not com- comfortable reading or writing, and India has a large population that falls under that category, um, they would not they would not find Twitter or Facebook useful. So on our app, you can actually record an audio message, uh, a post that's just audio. It doesn't need to have any any um, any words typed onto it. Uh, and same for video. So when you when you post something, it first gets approved by the content team before it shows up. It needs to meet certain guidelines before it shows up onto the app. Mm-hmm. So, so if it has, uh, if it's if it's not related to politics or governance or social issues, it does not make it to our app. 
if it has foul language or personal attacks, the kind of problem that we've started having with Facebook and Twitter for a few years now is just a lot of trolling and just a lot of mindless comments that flood your inbox, right? If if these comments have foul language or they're not related to politics or governance or social issues, they do not make it onto the app. And if they're fake news, known fake news that we're aware of as fake news, they will not make it onto the app. Is all of this um, moderation taking place manually per message? It's a combination. It's, yes, it is per message. It's a combination of manual and AI. There's, we, we're slowly building up the AI element because it's going to have to get supported using that. Uh, we're still in our initial stages. We haven't officially launched the app as yet. Mm-hmm. This is pre-launch stage. So, so we're learning a we're learning a lot about user behavior. Mm-hmm. We're trying to we're trying to adapt our systems to how the users want to use this app, and based on those learnings, we want to put in more systems in place. But right now, the experience that people have is that this is a pristine environment. We can actually have reasonable conversations without uh, the noise. So, at at one level, that's happening. Uh, fake news. If it's if you've invented a fake news, uh, for example, no one knows that uh, Manor Parker was actually thinking about switching parties. If that's the fake news that you've invented, chances are that it's going to be accepted. Mm-hmm. But, but as soon as more people start talking about it and the fact checkers get to know about it and mm-hmm. they fact check this, they're going to post something on our on our app, mm-hmm. and everyone is going to get to know that Manohar Parker was not thinking of switching parties. And anyone saying that is actually spreading fake news. Would people who are posting messages in the future claiming yes. that, would they be blocked automatically? Yes, yes, they would be blocked. And you, you say this is uh, still in the early days as, the, as far as the app is concerned. How long have you been developing it? And can you give me an idea of the scale of the uh, your team behind The concept was born in my head uh, somewhere in the middle to maybe the the third quarter of uh, 2016. And then I started working with people that I've worked with in the past to kind of iron it out a bit Uh or take it from concept to something more tangible. Um, We did a lot of experiments. Um, We uh, conducted a lot of focus groups. we wanted to understand how exactly the app is going to be used uh, by people if we told them that you're not going to have instant gratification. When you post something, it's not going to show up immediately. Uh-huh. And we wanted to see how people are going to react to that before we decided to write a single line of code. Uh, we wanted to understand how do people think about moderation, that you know, if you're going to use foul language, we're going to take away the post. It's not going to show up. Um, because there's a lot of freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression that comes into play, especially because we're dealing with that audience. It's about democracy. It's about freedom, right? So we wanted to see how that gets um, processed uh, by people. Mm-hmm. So we spent about six to eight months doing just that. Right. And after that, uh, early 2017 is when we started coding this. You you talked about you know how how you felt that you understood why this is a mobile only app. Mm. The funny thing is that we first started creating this on the browser. 
All right. It was for the mobile. Uh-huh. It was for the mobile, but we couldn't actually, being a startup, we couldn't spend, um, you know, all our free our resources on native apps before we knew what we were really going to be building. So it was more effective to go about building something on the browser, where as soon as we got feedback, we made changes. You know, people could see it right away. When you're on the App Store, when you're on uh, Google Play, there's a very uh, there's a very long time that you need to wait before, you know, you make some changes and people get to see uh, uh-huh. those changes and give feedback. Mm-hmm. So browser was the right approach for us at that point of time. So that started sometime in to, uh, early 2017. Mm-hmm. End of 2017 is when we released uh, our first um, beta mm-hmm. on the browser. Right. We we managed to get some lawmakers to be a part of this, and slowly the list of lawmakers that were a part of this started growing. Uh, but it was on browser at that point of time. The first few lawmakers who came on board were actually accessing the app on the browser, only on the mobile. It was not not open on desktop. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was important for us to see how people use it on the mobile because we knew eventually that's where we we needed to be, and we wanted to make sure that our learnings were actually focused in that sense. Um, Sometime in mid-2018, we started developing the native apps for Android and uh, iPhone. And uh, since then, we've been, we've been iterating upon the, uh, the functionalities and the features. You mentioned uh, you had the original idea, and then you switched to we having these discussions and formulating the strategic uh, approach that you should take. Uh, how many people are involved in that decision-making process at the highest level, or is it just still you? The politically correct way of saying so that it's a team. Uh-huh. Uh, so we're all in it. Um, and being a startup, it's fairly flat. Uh, yeah. we, we don't have a lot of hierarchy. Okay. But I also, and, and I'm a big believer of teamwork. I'm, I'm, and m- maybe that's why the we <laughs> came in very quickly, because I I understand that it could not have happened without uh, the team. Uh, but yes, the uh, the veto power actually lies uh, with me. Great. So okay. how, how big when, is the team? Uh, we're about 12 people in the tech, in the, uh, uh, the technical team. Mm-hmm. And there are about 35 people um, in the other team, which is a non-technical team, which kind of doubles as the moderation team, uh, mod, uh, doubles as the uh, you know support team. Uh-huh. So they, they play multiple roles. Some very quick fire type questions. If somebody goes to download the app now, that version of the app, uh, how many people uh, are registered as users right now? Around 450,000 users. 450,000. Right. Almost half a million. That's quite um, a user base for an application that hasn't gone live yet. Okay. And how is the app? But that's, that's for India. So we're still, we're still not sure mm-hmm. if we've gotten enough in terms of sample size. Because of the large population, mm-hmm. this, is, this is just a drop in the ocean. <laughs> Over 1.3 million population yeah quite correct well actually we're thinking we're, we're not even thinking 1.3 billion we're just thinking 900 million voters okay so even from that perspective this is nothing right you des- you you based in delhi is designed for uh, the indian democracy but i'm based in the uk i was able to download and install it and and uh, i've not posted anything but um is it not restricted to india only 
Uh, no, a bunch of things. A uh, lot of Indians are actually living abroad, mm-hmm. um, and they're still they're still connected with India. That's, many of them are still voters, right. uh, and they actually travel to India to vote. Um, so we we didn't want to leave this, you know, restricted in that sense. Uh-huh. Yeah. The other thing is that the other thing is that we're not we're not thinking just India. India is just our first market. We want to get to all mature democracies in the next level. And then after that, who knows? Uh, frankly, that's one of the interesting areas that uh, uh, attracted me to this app, because if the principles and the framework uh, behind Governor work, there's no reason why it shouldn't work elsewhere. How are you funding it? Bootstrapping so far. Mm-hmm. Savings, that's about it. We're, we're going to start looking for investors uh, sometime very soon he wanted to make sure that well okay i want this this was more of a me decision so i shouldn't say we uh-huh. um i wanted to make sure that you know we've got something that has market validation that has size that has demonstrated uh value before i go up to investors i just wanted to make sure that i was not getting investors who are going to come in and say that, well, there's this risk element, and so we're not sure. Mm. Um, I just thought I could get a better investment deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sounds selfish, but as an entrepreneur, I think anyone who's looking for that is actually being being very judicious with his uh, time and his energy. What is the uh, business model? I mean, why would investors uh, invest? Is the uh, ultimate game for people to to pay uh, advertising how are you going to generate revenue um we're already trying that and that's the other interesting thing mm-hmm. um so when you register we don't ask you for you know where you work um we, we don't ask you for personally identifiable information but we do ask you for certain things which allow us to have a context about who you are uh-huh. as a citizen so we ask you uh where you're registered to vote uh-huh. which constituency uh we ask you for your date of birth which kind of lets us know what your age is mm-hmm. uh we ask uh what your qualification level is so we know what level to communicate with you at um not to sound condescending but if someone is uneducated then there's a different level of communication that a lawmaker would want to use mm-hmm. to get his point across and if you have a phd then the lawmaker would have a different level of communication for that so uh you know we collect we collect education level for that and then there's this portion or the section on the app that's called the national pulse where we ask a few questions that kind of determine the narrative of uh, the governance mm-hmm. of the day right so one question is if elections were held today who would you vote for um what do you think about this issue what do you think about that issue what do you think about this bill that was uh, uh that was passed or this bill that was presented in parliament so these are very these are these are few questions they're not a long list of questions uh currently they're just 10 they used to be six until a few months ago mm-hmm. and uh, they probably won't exceed 12 or 13 or maybe 15 because uh, any more than that and it becomes painful for people to keep up to that keep up with that so once they've identified their answers to those questions mm-hmm. it becomes very easy for politicians to then communicate to them during elections uh 
So let's say I'm a BJP voter. Uh, uh, I'm a BJP uh, candidate during elections. Mm-hmm. If I were to just go out and advertise, it would be the equivalent of the old-fashioned advertising where, you know, internet and technology did not come into play. So advertising on billboards, advertising on news channels, uh, advertising on newspapers, where I'm not sure who my audience is and I'm not sure if the marketing message, mm-hmm. in this case, the campaign message, is actually getting through correctly. Right. So and on our platform, mm-hmm. you can Carry actually on. do that. Right. So, so on our platform, you can say if someone is typically going to vote for us, then it's probably going to be easier to convince them. And so we can communicate with them using these videos. If they actually agree with most of the bills that we've passed, then they're more aligned with our ideology and we can communicate with them using these other videos. If they would not vote for us, but they typically follow the kind of ideology that we do, um, maybe it's just a matter of convincing them a bit more and they'll vote for us. And so they can actually customize their messages based on these things without knowing who those individuals are personally, individually, uh, you know, where they live, where they work, uh, what their phone numbers are. They don't need to know that. But they pay us based on a per person communication, which is like a pay per click uh, setup. Yeah. Uh, so um, to, to be, if I was to be critical, I would say that's a bit like uh, targeted ads on Facebook, even if the individual's identity isn't part of the equation. The app will itself be free for individual users, will it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So it's free for individuals. It's free for the lawmakers. They can still uh, communicate with their constituency. They can still get feedback from individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that That's never going to change. That's where we're going to get the bulk of our usage from. It's It's our attempt to piggyback on that to actually make some money to be somewhat cash flow positive i wouldn't say make profits out of this but somewhat cash flow cash flow positive to actually uh why not make uh, a profit out of this the way the way i look at this and again this is more of an i thing the mm-hmm. we you know uh, we, we're still discussing that but this so so this is where the veto power comes in sometimes mm-hmm. um uh, as as the founder i kind of uh, feel that I, I shouldn't be doing that often, right. but there are times we want to make sure that the little guy can run for elections. We want to make sure that the entry barriers to running for office uh, gets reduced. Right now in India, if you want to run for elections for any constituency, the kind of budget you need uh, to actually campaign is huge. It's humongous. Mm-hmm. And the only kind of people who have that are typically people who are not not getting those money through honest means. It, it, it does have a direct impact on the kind of people that we end up choosing to be in office. Hmm. But so, by reducing the entry barrier, by not making profit our primary motive, mm-hmm. we're willing to let go of some money just because we want to make sure that we're going towards our mission. We're moving towards our mission statement. I don't want to make this comparison too too strong a comparison, but you know we've had the problems here in the UK with the manipulation of social media interfaces to manipulate our Brexit debate, for example, and the election before mm-hmm. that. There have been, as you know, the current White House incumbent has uh, come under a lot of criticism for. Uh, Russian meddling in uh, that campaign, the Cambridge Analytica um, influence 
the main problem with it is it was happening and people were denying it was happening or it was concealed. To what extent are you being transparent about the business model behind Governai? This, I think, would be the most transparent way to actually uh, make revenue. Because on Facebook or on Twitter, you don't even know who's actually trying to put that message out. Hmm. Uh, on our platform, it's coming directly from the candidate. There is no uh, political action committee. There is no uh, lobby. There is no special interest group. There, there is no other entity that's paying for these ads. Uh, they're not coming to you. They're not coming to you from an unknown source. It's actually going to be, it's actually a notification that comes into your inbox uh, that says that you have received a campaign message from ABC or, you know, so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you click on that, you react to that. That's when the other person gets charged for it. In terms of transparency, uh, I think we're we're being very transparent. And if I just have one more question on this thread, when Mark Zuckerberg started Facebook, he had pretty much a similar, I would have guessed, uh, noble ideals. And from what you've told me, particularly the the long history from the starting point, it seems to be like something that uh, we all need right now. What can you do, if anything, to ensure that in the future, if this is, uh, Governor, is as successful as uh, as it could be, that it will remain uh, under your control and uh, continue operating under the guidelines of openness and transparency that uh, you've just articulated. I would like to think that Governor would uh, would always be around, whether <laughs> I'm in control or not. Uh, I don't think uh, I'm. I don't think I. I don't think I am supposed to be attached to Governor forever. Um, and so if if anyone were to be in charge, I mean, maybe 20 years later, 30, 50, 100 years later, anyone who's in charge <laughs> yeah. is going to know one thing, that if we yeah. switch these uh, principles, it's not going to make business sense for us. We will not exist. Um, Mark, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg may have been able to move away from those ideals because people didn't know any better. But now they do. They know that if we mess things up, they're not going to want to be a part of this. And if they're not a part of this, then we're just going to lose our edge. So our entire our entire value proposition to candidates, uh, to lawmakers, uh, and journalists also in the future is going to be that people trust us. People are here. Just one more on this. I, I'm really fascinated yeah. by this because the, the driver behind any business is, is just to commercial business is to to make profit. And sadly, many people, even on Facebook today, uh, give out so much information without thinking twice about what it is and how it could be misused, that when it comes to money, uh, people usually put principle second. And when you've got something like this, uh, however noble the ideals were initially, it's usually too tempting not to... um, uh, take a deep breath and take as much money and profit out of a product as they can. I'm I'm actually reminded um, of that anecdote. Um, you know the chicken and the golden egg uh-huh. uh, thing. Um, if they treat Governor right, I mean the future investors, the the future management, the future 
anything uh, of Governai. Uh, if they treat Governai right, they're going to get the golden egg every day. <laughs> if they want to kill it, thinking that let's just get all the golden eggs right now, uh-huh. uh, they're going to be pretty sad. In real, in real life, mm-hmm. uh, if we were to do anything to uh, break the trust that our users have on us, um, it would just not make business sense at all because we would lose them. We would lose the users. They could be very soon, very, very soon, there are going to be a bunch of apps that are going to be copying us. And there is no reason why a user would just stick to us if we, you know, if we were to lose those ideals, there's no reason why users are going to stick with us. They're, they'll just move. Uh, so this is not coming only from a place of, you know, oh, I'm this idealistic person. I'm actually not. I'm actually driven by um, a sense of what is going to work for us, what's going to make sure that we are successful. It doesn't have to be profit, but it has to be something that lasts. Uh, it has to be something that transcends the short-term quarter-to-quarter expectations of what your profit margin has been. You're absolutely right. Things have things have not always worked out like that in the past. And uh, the, the only thing I can say is we'll see. Uh, and and you should and and you should watch us. Uh, everyone should watch us. And, and it is a very exciting uh, development, I think. So I certainly will be watching. If I can move on to another round of quick fire type questions, and this is just to help me understand the sort of security environment under which the Governai app has been developed and and operates. I know that because of choices you've already made about not having uh, email addresses and um, phone numbers as part of the information you collect in the first place, um, that security is quite important to you. Let's say I wanted, uh, I came to you and said, look, I'm I'm a developer. I really like your app. I would like to work in, in your team. What kind of questions about security and indeed my security clearance and background, what kind of checks would you undertake? We definitely verify your credentials. Um, you know, when you apply for a job you mm-hmm. go through, when, and you've gone through the interview process, once you reach a stage where it looks like uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a green signal, things are going to work out, uh, before we make you an offer, we actually do verify uh, your credentials. Once, once your credentials have been verified, you actually get into what's what I call the three-layer uh, system. Um, mm. Layer one is when you know you literally have access to nothing. Uh-huh. Um, you're you're basically still talking in terms of um, vaporware, right? You go through the orientation, you you mm. you try to understand, uh, you know, the structure of the the code, uh, the structure of the app, uh-huh. uh, the the servers, and all that. Uh-huh. Um, so there are a few months of that that you're going through. During that period, there's a lot of you, – you're basically under observation. Um, uh, you you would not know that, but the seniors, uh, mm-hmm. the architects are actually observing you. You know, once you've cleared the initial phase of orientation, mm-hmm. um, you know, it also gives us a chance to validate whether this was a good hire or not. Mm-hmm. Three-hour-long interview process doesn't tell us that much about uh, it. <laughs> right. But a three-month hands-on co-working arrangement tells us uh-huh. almost everything yeah. that we need to know. Uh-huh. Uh, the second circle where they actually start having access to code. Mm-hmm. Um, they can make changes to code. Um, it's still monitored because every time they check it back into uh, the, uh, 
GitHub uh, repository, the, I guess. The, 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 the repository, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's it's reviewed uh, by the seniors, you know, they, they actually, and when I say seniors, either the architects, and then there are some aspects of uh, the platform that are not open to them, they're only open to uh, the, the uh, technical owners. Mm-hmm. And uh, the technical owners are people who have personally worked with in the past. Right. That's, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the kind of structure that we have. Yeah. It is quite informal. So it's not like we have, uh, you know, we have a, a different uniform uh, when you're in the outer circle. Or the inner <laughs> circle. It's, it's not like that, yeah, but, I, but I, it is, it is a big thing. It's, it's almost like, a, you know, like an event or a ritual uh-huh. uh, when they start getting access to code, you know, them getting their usernames on the repository is, uh-huh. is a huge thing for them. Well, you know, when you're a startup, you, you got to do everybody's got to do everything and i understand the constraints that you work under at that phase authentication do you use multi-factor authentication for access um it's an option there are some people who so one of the things is that when you actually register on the app uh it assumes that you're anonymous Right. But lawmakers and, you know, there are a lot of eminent citizens who might be social activists or uh, they might be celebrities in other sense, uh, political celebrities. Uh, you know, they don't want to be known as anonymous profiles, so they want to have a verified profile. Yeah. Right. So they communicate with us offline. Uh-huh. They share their credentials with us offline. We verify them and then we verify their okay. profile. Uh, their, their account. Yeah. So they have requested several, there have been several requests mm-hmm. for them to have a two-factor authentication process when they log in. Yeah. Okay, and then I can imagine this evolving, but in your development team, um, how many people would have um, access to the code and indeed be able to make changes and commit uh, updates to it? Roughly, how many people are we talking about there? Two. Okay. <laughs> And would that kind of access for those two individuals, would they be using multi-factor authentication? Yes. Okay. yes. And sometimes, sometimes, I mean, this is, this is not something you asked for, but I'm just letting you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's almost like learning the, nu- the, the key to the nuclear. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's like both yeah. people have to be there to, to kind of verify that the other person has done the right yeah. uh, stuff. So, uh, yeah. And this, along with other aspects, is very difficult for many startups to incorporate. But because this is at the heart of your product, uh, I can understand why you've limited it to, uh, at this point, just two people. Do you have anything in the way of assessment, third party in to do like a penetration test or an IT health check? We haven't gotten anything formal as yet mm-hmm. because we are still still pre-launch, right? So there's a lot of functionality that still needs to be added. The elections in India um, are due. Can you just remind me of the timeline that you're working to now? When are the elections? When are you hoping to release the final version of this application? We want to release the final version of the application maybe next century. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I understand your question. Uh, Uh What what you want to know is when do we launch? When do we formally launch? Mm -hmm. Right? We want to launch after the elections. After the elections? Because we're not, the elections almost make it seem like, you know, we're a one-trick pony. I see. Uh, It almost makes it seem like, you know, that's what we were made for. We were not. Uh Uh, Strategically, it just made sense to piggyback on the election um, 
coverage to get as many as many more users and as many more validation as we can. Mm -hmm. But this is not made to this is not the app was not developed to enable elections. Mm -hmm. It was developed to enable everything outside of elections. Okay. You know, everything once elections were conducted. Right. Elections technically end uh in the middle of May. Uh maybe third week of May. Um May twenty third is when they announced the results. Maybe last week of May is when the oath taking ceremonies are gonna happen. Uh -huh. June first is when, you know, the government kind of would be uh uh taking charge. Uh maybe a little before that, but June first is definitely when that would happen. Uh -huh. We would like to be in shape. Uh, to launch around that time. Right. It's possible that there's going to be so much happening that um, from a launch perspective, uh, we might get, um, you know, outshouted by uh, the winners of the election and the people who become ministers. And, you know, they might have a lot of um, ambitions or aims uh, for their ministries that they would want to announce. Uh, citizens are going to be excited about, you know, what the new government is going to be working on. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a lot of, I won't call that noise, but there's going to be a lot of that happening. And so maybe we'll have to find just the right time when we want to launch so that we can get the best bang for our buck. I focus on security, but I should, just one last question about the political affiliations of um, you and, and your team members. And, and just to repeat, you don't have to answer this question, so do feel free to ignore it. Do you... Are you a member of any particular uh, political party? Do you support any? And how do you check, or do you, uh, if uh, uh, any of the team members are affiliated or have any allegiances to particular political parties? The organization is not affiliated to any party. Uh, I am not affiliated to any political, any political party. We have a lot of political opinions, um, Half of our discussions are technical, but the other half are political <laughs> in nature. Yeah. You know, there are times when we, you know, when we're watching the news and then, you know, there's there's something that's been announced in terms of policy or in terms of uh, uh, a direction that the government wants to take. And we end up having a lot of discussions on uh, how would it work or how to ensure that it works and it doesn't fall apart. Or, you know, if it's not working, then we, you know, like more like I told you so. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have a lot of that happening. We're not. And, uh, we we do not ask people what their political affiliations are. They might have political affiliation, affiliations. We rec we we encourage people to have an open mind. We encourage people to have uh, affiliations towards you know political truths mm -hmm. or social truths. You know things that just need to happen because that's what's required, not because that's your ideology. Uh, but we don't cross-question people on that. We don't quiz people on that uh, during the interview process. Um, from the perspective of what might impact the app, we try to ensure that the code is reviewed. There is there is just no way right now that we can actually, uh, that we can sense ideology uh, within the uh, post. So if you were to post something, we might be able to figure out if it has foul language in it, but we wouldn't be able to figure out if you're supporting uh, the opposition party or the one in power right now. But if someone if someone were to actually code anything like that onto the system, uh, you know, I get to see the change log. Uh, I, I am one of the people who gets to see what the change log is when somebody commits to the code. Um, and I would I would I would find that out. Well, Anant Uhuja, founder of Governai, 
I think it's a very exciting, full of potential direction you're taking with Governai, and I look forward to how it develops in the near future. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Thank you, Gurbeep. It was wonderful talking to you.